0: you know, okay, you, you are unhappy at work. Fine. You got to realize that your complaints at work, you are not a beautiful and unique snowflake. Like there is your, your problems are not unique. Like if I were to hit record and record someone complaining about their job in Tallahassee, Florida, I can then go over to California or Chicago or Texas and say to somebody, hey, tell me what's the problems with your job. You could hit play and then stop. And it'd be the same conversation, you know. be a
1: street cop? Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. i your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and we have everybody's favorite instructor. Uh, Raven reviews from the conference. Never a doubt. Um, and that's not to this count anybody else's skills as an instructor. We have a fantastic lineup, as always. But you know him as the man who runs the gun game, the legend himself, somebody who will be talked about decades after he has perished from this earth. Tommy Brooks. I can't say what agency he's from, but it's not hard to figure it out as soon as you hear his accent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, thank you. Thank you for reading that directly from the card that I provided on telling my greatness. Thank you. Appreciate that.
1: Uh, dude, you know, I have a, a question that just, as we were talking a little bit before we started, when did you decide to start teaching? Like, when did that, when did that happen?
0: Yeah. Uh, great question, actually. Um, so I was actually, uh, some cops come from different backgrounds, you know, they, they did different things before they were cops, you're know, carpenters and plumbers or whatever. I actually, I never really had any adult job. I got on so young. I, my first job was working at a clerk at 14 years old selling you know, newspapers and milk and cigarettes and stuff until I I had my second job, which was delivering calzones, and then I became a cop. So the only adult job I was ever heading at is I was going to be a school teacher. So I was taking classes towards getting a master's in education. So I was very interested in that already. And so when I got on the police, uh, within my first under my first year, I started doing a lot of work with some of the plainclothes guys and the plainclothes guys and girls. Uh, it was actually four, uh, sorry, five males and a female. Um, they used to help out the academy, volunteering at the academy, like so going Louis, your tour, like, Hey, today, instead of going to the, uh, your shift, uh, come to the academy, do role players, but also talk to the recruits about clothes work. And I was so young and baby faced. They were pulling me for some of this work. And, um, I went with them and so that was it kind of be part of these little pullout groups, of the academy, set them aside and talk about what clothes work was. And that was sort of my first foray into it. I think I did my first one in, uh, in 2000. And so uh, 23 years ago now, that was it. And then they it seemed to be kind of detained by me a little bit. And they asked me, say, hey, you want to come to a little street crimes thing in like 2001, I'd say, um, maybe even towards the end of 2000. So I whipped together a little program I did and I talked to the recruits about it. And it was very kind of off the off the cop. In fact, if any cops in Massachusetts listen to this, they'll all probably know exactly what I'm talking about, because I joke that I'm the whore of Babylon. Like if you are in Massachusetts, like everyone has had me. Um, at least in (laughs) the academy level. And so that was it. I did that for years. And little by little, I started a little more and more serious. And then being, and I joke about being a nerd a lot, but it's true. And being that I am on the nerdy side, uh, they taught me to teach the criminal law and the constitutional law. So at one point I was teaching the criminal law, the con law, and then what was essentially the gangs class, which got labeled that around 2003, I'd say. And I did that for years. And then 2000. Five 2006, I started really putting a PowerPoint presentation of like real stuff together. And then I did that for years. And then it all kind of came together in 2015. I really loved the program. I was way above what your average academy class was, the effort being put into the presentation, if you will. And then in 2015, um, I basically attended back-to-back trainings that an individual story happened in each one that sucked so bad. And it made me want to start my own company and that's when i started my own company it took me uh, about a year and a half to get it off the ground i had 13 other cops that did it with me and um i had my program they had theirs we put together this whole five-day school very successful back to back and then the third one with less people The fourth one we had less people and by the fifth one it was costing me three grand to run it because it was costing so much to pay the instructors and everything more than i was getting in and it turns out there just weren't that many people who could get five days off of work for a presentation, or for a training. And so I had to kind of fold. And um, so I did a break off of my own thing and really elevated. And that was around 2019, I'd say. And then from there, just chipping away. And then it kind of went. And then here we are. But so I've been teaching since 2000,
1: uh, dreaming of being a teacher since 1997, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's, mm-hmm. So, I, you, you mean in 2000? How many years you have on the job at that time? Two years? Three years? I literally had a year and a half. Oh wow! Yeah, I literally
0: had a year and a half. And I um, see. I joke. I get on at the end of '98. So, like my big show off thing is when people in a room talking about being cops, I can be like, "Yeah, well, you know, back in the '90s when I got on, it makes me sound like a real grandfather." I had about 13 months of '90s policing, but sounds awesome in a bar, you know.
1: You know what? It's crazy because. This morning I had a thought. I'm like, I feel fantastic, right? I just constantly think about like why I don't drink alcohol. I don't want to disturb my physical, my mental. I really have been on a, a real, real high at the moment. Of you know, I share that. you know that you
0: know you know that I also don't drink. You also know that too. I think
1: oh, we I talked mean, about this. I also don't drink. Yeah, very I'm Against
0: it, like morally, I just I, I might have if I go out four times a year and have
1: two drinks. That's about what I am. So I'm I'm similar. I'm similar like that with the drinker. So I guess because I I don't want to disturb the momentum of uh, how clear I am, where things are going, how I feel physically. I really, people say to me, like, why don't you drink? And I'm like, because I like the way I feel when I'm not drunk or hungover. I just, it feels so much better to be that way. And dude, don't get me wrong. Like, I like dropping some inhibitions and being a little silly and goofing off and going outside my comfort zone a little bit when I'm obviously had a drink or two or three, whatever it may be. But overall the price that you pay at 41 going on 42 for drinking like that is it's, it's two days worth of pain for yeah. four hours worth of fun. And the metrics don't measure up anymore. So that's sure. just the truth. Uh, I remember, you know, it's just, it's just different. And I hate to sound like an old guy, but it's crazy shit. Bringing up being the old guy is bro. I mean, like I got on the job in 20, I'm sorry. In Oh one. Right. It's 2023. Like where the fucking, as nuts yeah. as it sounds for an industry that's designed this way, we're the old guys. Yet I feel like I'm like 23 years old. I'm not kidding you. But I'm like, sometimes I don't even think I'm like, man, most of my friends are like preparing for retirement. Um, they're all you know yeah. significantly promoted people, lieutenants, captains, majors, chiefs, deputy chiefs. And I still yeah. feel like in my mind, like this rookie, I just feel like this new guy all the time still and I don't know why I feel that way, but I, 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 am often like, man, I feel like I just started in this shit. Yeah. There's
0: some truth to that. Um, I can tell you, like, I've said other, other cops, I said, I remember when you get on, you're always looking up, you know what I mean? Like, you're you're the new girl, you're the new guy and all the patrolmen are senior to you. Detectives, sergeants, lieutenants are all above you. And then you you kind of do the job and you kind of feel like you're the tip of the spear. You're like, Hey, we're the ones handling the calls. We, uh, Job. You know, you're not. You just tell yourself that. And then over time, somewhere along the line, that does start to happen when you look around, you go, Hey, you know, a couple of us made sergeant. Hey, a couple of us made uh, detective. Hey, it was part of these units. And a few years later, you look around, you know, and like I remember looking around at one point, and I said, I'm a sergeant in the gang unit here. I'm like, That's pretty good. Look at my classmates, and I got a deputy classmate over here. I got two captain classmates over here. So, you know, you're making lieutenant. Then you look around one day and you go, do so, we're the job when people are mad about this place? I think they, they're gonna start getting mad at us. Like this, this is not our fault. This place like has any problems, you know. And so, which is funny, that's actually where I think a lot of the fix will come from. Is when you know the new generations come into that position, they either have an understanding of what was
1: hang- happening above them, or they have the opportunity to fix some of the things that they always complained about. I think somebody has to have the brass tacks to essentially maneuver the momentum of the agency or historical uh toxicity and put a stop to it and start paving a new path because what i see often is agencies seem to be a perpetual cycle of the same shit over and over again because the fuckheads at the top recognize who the fuckheads are at the bottom that they can manipulate and they just start bringing up through the ranks so at some point whether it's somebody's a Trojan horse who's going to pretend to be a fuckhead, and as soon as they get where they need to be, fix all this shit. But also, yep. I think collectively as a whole, if we get enough people in administration who understand the behavior that needs to be employed as we go on in this profession, it begins to tip the scales where the fuckheads will be essentially ostracized or somebody the. And it correlates to a story that's so interesting. When I worked for the US Park Police in 2004, I will give them credit. It is one of the few agencies where I actually watched. They rewarded proactive cops. They just did. If they like your attitude and your work ethic from the top down, I'm telling you, they they took care of you. In the sense of like, you're going to training, you're getting specialized divisions. And I've actually seen them tell people who were like mopes, right? Do nothing motherfuckers. Just to give you some context of the story. I got called into... The captain's office one time, a lieutenant's office, one of the two. And another girl who'd been there two years before me was in the office. And he said, She wants to know why you're here for essentially a year, a year and a half, and we're setting you up for field training. Cause field training came with like stipends, and, and it wasn't just cause you were a, a, when you field trained, you got rewarded. You were a field training officer, and it was like almost like a little bit of a rank push. So they started grooming me for, because to be a field training officer, you had to have certain certifications. So you need to have like um, SFSTs, ALCO tests, a few other things. But very early on, they recognized that I was a worker. I had good work ethic. I enjoyed the job. So they started grooming me for that. And they brought her in. And she said, they said, hey, so-and-so wants to know why she's not going down the direction of being a field training officer. And so I brought you in here because she brought you up of, you're two years less on the job than she is, and we're, you're getting now all this recognition, and you're, we're moving you and getting you to specialized schools. You're on the CDU team. And so the, I remember the, the, the lieutenant saying, like, how many, how many arrests did you have last week? How many tickets did you write last week? How many of this? And I start rattling off numbers. And he looked at her and said, and what did you do? Tell me about your stats. And she's like, well, he's like, and I know. And I don't even bother you about it, so-and-so. But I know you're hanging out at the fucking fire departments during your tours. I know you made friends with these firemen around town in, these, in downtown D.C. I see your car out there. I, got, I go out and drive her. I know where you are. I know the fucking... You can't fool me. I know you fuck off at these fucking firehouses two, three hours at a clip when you're supposed to be out doing your job. Like, I don't br- break your balls about that, so I don't come in here and break my balls about why you're not getting anything. And the crazy thing is, a lot of people don't know this if you're not in law enforcement yet. You go to some agencies, and it's just the opposite. It's the guy or girl who is the bum that might get the most. And it's a wild thing. And that's the frustrating thing for people like myself. And I probably every instructor at this company who is, I would just say has good work ethic, right? They just have good work ethic. Well, I
0: I will say this (laughs) being that I, I, I travel around the country doing these, you know, with you. And I've been talking to departments for again, years now. I've actually learned a couple of lessons, one of which is kind of eye opening to some people because they never think of it. But I always look at the joke and you know, you know you, okay, you, you are unhappy at work. Fine. But you got to realize that your complaints at work, you are not a beautiful and unique snowflake. Like, there is your, your problems are not unique. Like, if I were to hit record and record someone complaining about their job in Tallahassee, Florida. I can then go over to California or Chicago or Texas and say to somebody, Hey, tell me what's the problems with your job. You could hit play and then stop. And it'd be the same conversation. You know, my job doesn't reward the the workers, you know, it's all politics. Ah, They want to promote the people they like, or they only like to do nothing. So one thing I try to tell people, keep them optimistic. I say, well, first of all, At some point, you got to realize if that's really an issue for you, that's just a baseline issue in law enforcement. I mean, like your problems are not unique. There's no job you can go to that's guaranteed to fix any of that. It's going to be a little endemic everywhere because it's part of being part of the bureaucracy. So you kind of got to get over that, you know, find a way to kind of go within the system and stay happy with what you got. You know, the old saying, you know, play the cards you dealt, you know, and try to make the best change you can. But I can say this, though. A lot of times I think people are unhappy at work. Because I think what happens, I think we write a book in our head about what we want to do. Like I'll use car chases as an example. Like a lot of jobs really just shut down car chases. They just say, listen, we don't want them. They're not worth, you know, you mentioned risk to reward ratio and show you know, the benefit of drinking. A lot of departments have done that same evaluation and said the risk to reward for chasing a you know a car through the streets of a major city um is not worth it. And of course, the knee jerk reaction from cops who are working cops is, well, that's police work. That's what we do. Now, I'm not trying to be a company man here, but I gotta stay like, if the Mayberry Police Department has hired you to work for them and they tell you, we don't want you to do this. I'm guessing that in the history of the Mayberry Police Department, there's never been a cop who was so amazing that when they violate the wishes of the Mayberry Police and do a car chase anyway, and then the car spins out and crashes on a car and it kills a nine-year-old. But your police work had been so good prior, we're okay with it. That generally doesn't exist. Generally, you're gonna end yourself in, in some trouble. And then when it happens, cop's are gonna validate it by going, but I was doing the job. And I kind of remind guys sometimes, say, you were, and I respect it. But you do understand though, you were doing the job as you thought it should be done. The department was pretty clear about what they wanted. You didn't do that. So it's one of those like. You know, it goes back to my old saying with the honor game, you know, do you want to be right? or Do you want to be okay? I mean, I get what you did was noble. you want to catch bad guys? But we got to find another way. Like one thing we started trying to do, and it hasn't been perfectly affected yet, but it's, it's in very strong process right now. So where I work is a busy area. Okay. It's a the high violent crime spot, if you will, comparatively to probably most of the places where cops work. And so we had a lot of, men and women who leave working where I am to go into a gang unit, to go into a drug unit and something. We'll give the gang unit as an example. We had a couple of guys who were great cops who've gone there. And a couple of girls who were great cops who've gone there in the last year or two. So we're still part of like our team, if you will. Like, you know, we still shoot the shit with the local district guys where I'm at now because I'm, I'm just, I'm just a district guy. And so what I started telling my folks is I said, say you what you get a car, you get the plate and it takes off on you. And you're doing your regular game, the old, you know, I'm behind a vehicle. Supervisor says, you know, what do you have? Uh, yeah, failing to stop. Okay, what's the reason for the stop? Uh, violation of the auto laws only at this time. And then the supervisor says, what is your speed? And then they answer the speed, usually, you know, 15 miles an hour while hearing a crazy engine revving in the background, right? And But there's the back and forth questions. And then at some point, the supervisor is going to say, call it off. You don't have enough, call it off. So I tell some of the cops now, is instead of being butthurt on that, call it the Christ off, pull under one of the Homeland Security cameras, be very clear you did that, shut your lights off. Give that plate to our friends, our contacts in the gang unit. They have more access to toys and options than you. And in the morning, they'll set up on that car and they'll do a little day in the life with that, that, that guy or that bad guy. And if they see that guy come out, he's adjusting his waistband or put some sort of unknown item under his hood or whatever and they can grab them with a gun, and you chip them off to the plate, I'll write you up for accommodation along with you know them getting the gun. And that's one of those things I could try to get my guys. to listen, I wanna to try to commend you for walking away. I wanna commend you for following the department's mission of not chasing their car, keeping everybody safe, not having any community members killed by an errant psycho bad guy driver. And in turn, I'll still give you some accommodation when they get that gun eventually. Is it gonna be a perfect system? No. But if it means that people can walk away, and I think I might have told you the story before, but I don't. Want, I don't want to name the guy, even though uh, it would actually be a huge compliment to him. But we got a cop who works in the district. And he got an obscene amount of guns, and I mean, in all the right ways. He's a good cop. He does everything right. And um, I was talking to him about this, and he was like, "He's like Brooksy, He's like, tell me you're not selling in on this too, man. Like, like you're a police work guy, man. Even you got to agree. Like, not chasing cars. Like, what the Christ." And I, I actually did a quick math game with him. And I said, how many guns did you get last year? And I don't know the exact number, but it was, a, it was a shitload. I want to say he was like 40. I said, all right, how many gun arrests did you make last year where you had a car chase that took off, chased them? It ended either in a crash or they got stuck in traffic or they bailed out on foot, whatever. But you ended up catching a person making a gun case that stuck on them. I'm not talking about four dudes bail out of a car or gun found in the back seat. I'm talking about you caught a guy with a gun and you made the case out of your 40 guns last year. He was like, all right, fair enough. He got me. He's like, two. I said, all right, let's play statistics game now. If you get in a car chase and somebody dies and you could potentially be screwed by that, do you think if next year you get 38 guns, let them all go. Next year you get 38 guns. Do you think we'll build a smaller statue in in honor of your greatness? And he was like, yeah, good point. You know, and I even tried to get him on board with the thinking. So, again, I'm not trying to be the company guy here and break everybody's heart. But my point is, is um, I am about proactive work. But above proactive work, I'm about cops keeping their jobs and cops being available for more proactive work tomorrow by not being in trouble today, if that's what it takes. So, yeah, you got to give a little to get a little. Let's do it.
1: How do we create more professional police officers? you know, it's so interesting. I had this thought. I'll preface it a little bit more. I think people get misconstrued about our teaching styles, the foul language. This is an entertainment. Yeah. Game, yeah. But through that, if you can understand what's happening to keep attention, so we create emotion with it, we are creating a more professional police officer because that yeah. person is getting valuable content out by retaining uh, their attention. So there's, there's, I not Yeah. So let me ask you this. How, do we just go back after prefacing that? How do we create more professional police officers?
0: Well, you're right. It is actually a very difficult sort of juxtaposition here because, I mean, some people say like, "Well, police training—you got to swear," because that's the language they speak. And I'm like, "Well, actually, that's a little presumptive, too." I mean, I wouldn't make any presumption at all. Cops want to hear swears. The flip side of that is, yeah, funny is funny. Funny works. Actually, can I give you a good example? Here's the thing that I've, I, I've done in presentations. So I've used an example that I said, if some media team wanted to do a hit piece on street cop, right. And they came to one of my presentations and they say, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take a note of everything this cop says and say, help me God. I'm going to, I'm going to catch up saying something crazy. It's funny that I think they'd actually be pretty impressed with my presentation, but they would have everything they want in catching me with like a swear. I'll give you an example, like a thing I do in class. Now I'll, I'll talk to people. And they won't, I'll be doing a thing and people won't know what it's about. So I'll say into the room sometimes like, uh, hey, who's the I I don't want a female for this. Give me the biggest guy in the room. Where's the, where's the big piano lifting bastard. There's one in every one of these rooms. And the, the, the room will usually nominate the guy for you. They'll be like, you know, Hey, uh, gendering, get over here. You know, you look over across the room to some guy with gigantic pythons for arms. Right. And then I'd say, who's the small skinny guy in the room? And they'll usually nominate him, too. You know, they'll go, hey, Swanson, get over here. And, oh, you know, just draw attention to Swanson, some skinny guy. And what I'll say is, all right, I don't want to put you guys on the spot here. But in, in one minute, I'm going to ask you to come to the front of the room. And the big guy, and the little guy. And on the count of three, for the little guy, I want you to lean over to the big guy. and I want you to rub his balls. And I want you to rub him. And then I want you to rub with two hands. And then I want you to start feeling his ass. And then I usually stop because the class by that point is usually like, like what the fuck? What is this class about again? Like, you know, waiting for like, you know, something weird to happen. So now I'll stop. I go, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I worded that super weird. I'm sorry. Let me start over. Little guy, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I want you to demonstrate a good Pat Frisk. And then I have a little thing pop up on the board. It goes, they are the same thing. That meme from the office, you know, they are the same thing. And just to point out, like, listen, our job by design, it's disgusting. We, we we go into people's houses and places people don't want to go. We go into crawl spaces that no one's ever been in before. We stick our hand under the seats that we can't see under and into the pockets where fucking hairy lollipop is the luckiest you're going to get. And yeah, we <laughs> spend a lot of time doing some serious ball grabbing and some ass rubbing and some fucking crease fingering. And it you know was funny. It becomes our normal, but we forget. We forget if for a guy who's getting frisked, It's not normal for him. It's very ab fucking normal to have just some stranger you never met go, Oh, we're going to call for a guy with a green hoodie. He may have committed this crime with a gun. You, some guy who didn't do it wearing a green hoodie is like, what? Hold on. Show me hands. Show me hands. Ball grab, ball grab, ass rub, ass rub. So the point of it is I then talk about treatment. and I talk about like how, you know, what we used to do is I was ideal in that we rode three, three deep. I was a supervisor. I had a few patrolmen. But if we jumped out on a guy, and we went into the ball rub game because we had a reason to frisk them for a call or whatever. And it wasn't him. My two cops went off looking for the bad guy. I stayed. And I'd be on channel seven, you know, call dispatch, like, go ahead with that description. And say, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, guy six foot two and a half green hood of sweatshirt with black hat. And I'd be like, listen, man, would you stop? stopped you? even if not fit in has to talk and vent and you know, decompress. And I'm proud to say I, in, in a 24 years of being a quote, jump out boy, Um, In plain clothes, pretty much my entire career, I never had a single complaint for treatment. Part of which is I always stayed. I always communicated. I always explained. I always talked. My point to your point, in doing a presentation, I find it more effective to get everybody shocked and awe by me declaring I want some guy to rub some guy's balls in front of everyone in the room and have everybody go, Jesus Christ, what is this guy doing? That's actually a pretty effective point for mind that what we do is kind of gross kind of offensive to the
1: person on the receiving end of the old dick grabbery, you know? Well, yeah, dude. And then it's hard for people who are blasphemous or critical on the surface to understand what happened there, what the transition was. Because they're like, oh, he curses too much. He's unprofessional. What's interesting is when you bring your quote unquote um, your professionals in with their fucking bullet point, black and white. PowerPoints with the selected background that like those 20 backgrounds yeah, vi- in the visual,
0: yeah, visual ambient
1: yeah exactly these guys who can put anybody to sleep in about seven minutes and and i think we've all been through those classes right and i'm not trying to criticize it's just this is some of the problems i don't have to sling mud at other agencies other companies or agencies and what they're doing but this is the this is the inherent problems of why people aren't getting better and more professional is because we're not giving them a platform or a vehicle to learn from You are showing them the same stuff. It's the same shit. And we know it's so institutional because every new instructor that comes to this company and sits down and starts to design their first program, we'll tell them, like, get everything on a PowerPoint. Let's take a look at it. And then we'll start to work on your program with you. And, you know, it it looks like what you'd expect it to look like when you go to a fucking in-service training because that's all they've seen in an academy, in-service. And so then we start doing our magic. You're the guy. We're just going to help you communicate the knowledge that you have. Here's how to work with uh, the things that we're giving you, the tools and the resources. And here's the cool thing, man. This is not some best-kept secret by Street Cop Training. I hope everybody changes the way they do things. We have uh, somebody right now who's not listening and I've had it in the past that they need to change what this looks like. They just are so steadfast on like, well, no, I need, to so that's how I do it. And I'm like, it doesn't work. It is right. not going to work for this company. It does not work. I cannot have it look like that. And I promise you when you change it, you're going to be so much happier with the product when it's done. And you know, Tom, you're a guy who's been teaching for a while. Did not disturb a thing that you were doing. Zach Miller does not teach his case law program like any other case law instructor at this company. I designed a template. It worked really nice. of our case law instructors employ that template. It flows beautifully. It's a very nice product. The second product is very nice as well. It's very comprehensive. It's easy to learn from the explanations are good. And then you look at Zach's it's completely different. He has like, he has like groups where they work on and problem solve and this and that. And dude, when I watched it, I said, I don't want to disturb. This thing is beautiful. It's just a different way that I, that I've done. It's like, when you write, I've watched new supervisors come on and they're evaluating reports. Uh, this guy's report doesn't look like this guy's report. I like that other guy's report better. Well, hold on a second. That guy's report is no different than this guy's report. You're just seeing it the way that you like it. So you're, eating a, you're he's got every ingredient that he needs for this report. It's all there. Everything he needs. Because he doesn't do it in the style that you like it doesn't mean it's wrong. Everything he needs is there. That's the same report. It just looks different to you.
0: Well, i think i think we have a responsibility as and again I, I know we use the word instructor a lot i mean i always use the word presenter or speaker because we've talked about this before like i'm not just being coy on that i'm saying quite literally like you're not certified in anything when you know my presentation like you don't listen to me talk and then now you go from nothing to real suspicion well your suspicion is not probable cause you've been certified in what i'm telling you about um i joke and say that my presentation is probably the best report writing class in history because. I'm just identifying all the things that people forget to mention, the things that people know they saw, but they don't realize these are all indicators of certain stuff. But with that, I'm adding to mine so constantly that it's never the same, but I'm just adding material. I'm adding design ideas, like the way I'll do stuff. Like, uh, I'll give you an example, like at, at the conference, I personal opinion, right? Um if you'd ask me, people say, hey, who is your favorite speaker or your favorite whatever? And everyone's going to have their opinions. You know, someone's going to say, oh, Rob O'Neill, I love the story. Someone might say such and such, you know, one of the instructors for Shreikov. My personal favorite for the week, I thought Nick German bodied that conference. I, I thought Nick German, he, I enjoyed it. I watched that whole thing. I didn't miss a single class. I thought Nick German was the best thing that happened all week. He didn't just have great information. He redesigned. How social media classes are done. I mean, he literally at one point was calling people to the stage, unset up, not set up, and he says to him, Do you mind if I crawl into your fucking asshole here for a second? Kids like not have at it. He literally asked the kid his name taught, showed people right a lot of time, live on the in fact. Remember, he lost the internet for like two minutes. And he was like, he must have been thinking in his head, this is like the fucking dream of being in your underwear in front of your class and shit. Thank God he got it back. He actually walked off stage, got like a little portable internet thing and fucking jumped back in. The kid doesn't break a sweat. But anyway, he's got this kid live on stage and then with his name was able to find out every subscription he's ever signed up for under his email address and then showed them. You see this kid, has like a fucking Etsy account and shit. Right. And then on there was like three porn websites, which led to like the funniest fucking breakout of laughter. And it's like, you can't get better than this. And then he has this like phone call. I mean, it's pre-recorded, but he's got Tom stack from human trafficking, like call in and be like, Hey, Nick, I got these. I he got, he's gonna like the font. Like he's talking on like a FaceTime. It's like, I, he's in a guy is Nick in the middle of classical. Like, oh, hold on a minute. I'm getting a call from Tom stack. Like he's like, hey, man, I got this human trap. I got this girl. I got to get her name. All I have the nickname, Boo Boo, in this photo. And then Nick fucking right there in Live Time, the computer. Although this was obviously, this one was actually scripted. You know, he shows how you take that name and find and gets guy's name. And Tom's like, all right, talk to you later, buddy. It was just, it was a fucking performance. And I saw Nick a year and a half ago in Atlanta City. He was great, but I, I thought he's second leveled. But I was talking to some of the other instructors. They're like, what advice do you have? Because I get, even in your intro you're like tommy brooks the legend and i said i'm an average fucking cop i'm i'm nerdy so i'm clever but i'm an average cop i just read the board really well and i work with some of the best which makes me look very good i guess but i am i am committed to being an exceptional presenter i'm committed to being an exceptional speaker so for that i will always accept the comment for like being a great you know instructor or, or presenter that said when people ask me at the end of that week dude hey me me really let your presentation like what do you suggest and i was like listen whatever you take away from mine go for it but watch what nick german did he found new ways to even his format even presented so in full disclosure i already called nick and i go dude i went in on i went in on the incoming nick german phone call so i did this whole thing where like i filmed a shot of me going like hey did i come in a foot chase buddy this kid dropped the phone it's ringing with this number How can I find out who this is? And he's like, I'll call you right back, buddy. And like, he does this. We have this whole thing. He already did a side-by-side screen. We already filmed it. And I added to my class and I I did it in uh, Pennsylvania. It was a fucking huge hit. My point is, is Nick is elevating everyone's game, you know?
1: Hey, guys, if you're enjoying the Street Cop Podcast, do us a favor and go with, give us a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Tell a friend. We don't charge anything for the episodes. We appreciate your support. Check us out on any social platform by putting into the search bar, Street Cop Training. Give us a follow. We have a lot of free content coming out every single day that you might not catch here on the podcast, and it's important for you to be able to do your job more professionally, and we also entertain you as well. No, no bullshit. And, dude, I... I call nick german and sometimes uh push people his way when i'm like if you want to design a great program nick german's program is probably one of the most well thought out and i think it has a lot yep. to do with him being a little bit of a tech nerd too but which works for him by the way yeah yeah for sure i
0: think it works uh we were when we were in uh at the conference because you gotta realize like we like, there's going to be some cops from my job, obviously, watching this podcast. Why wouldn't they? I, I might if the guy, you know, from a girl from my job was on it, right? And I'm sure in some ways, they're probably like, ah, Brooksy, go. You know, say eight out of 10 will be like, ah, Brooksy good for him. Yeah, I always knew we do this kind of stuff. One out of 10 is going to sit there and, you know, be like, yeah, I'm more real than anyone around here. I should be in the podcast. And then you have that one other person who's just kind of in the middle, right? It's just the math of this job. You know, you always say block out the noise. They hate us. Which, by the way, is why it took me forever to start doing these podcasts with you. I'm, I will confess that my insecurities of looking, I don't want to give you a parent. I'm pretending it's something I'm not. But that said, um, what's interesting is while we're in Nashville and same thing in Atlantic City, you're meeting 1,700 people who all want to shake your hand and take your picture. You're going to realize back here at work, no one does that. You know, Kenny Williams is Kenny Williams. But something tells me he doesn't walk around his PD and just run into people in the hallway and go, hey, man. Taking a photo with you? Like it doesn't happen. So it was a very surreal week. You know, it's false celebrityism. So we were joking one night. And, uh, like I said, I, I didn't drink that week. The only drink I had was at Kenny's little three hour thing on the Wednesday. Kenny made me promise. He goes, dude, I know you don't drink, but you're drinking a goddamn beer with me. And actually to, to, to Kenny's credit he talked to me at three of them that night, I still packed it in by about 11, like, a, cause I'm a wuss. But, um, but that said, um, it was wild because we we started saying like it was almost a borderline, made us feel like celebrities. So we started this whole thing where we go, like, what celebrities would we be? Like if we were real life celebrities, and we basically declared that Kenny was Tom Hanks. He's like, everyone loves him. Put him in a movie. You're going to make a million dollars. doesn't matter. The movie could suck. He'll make a million dollars because everyone just loves him at this point. And then we're like, Brad Gilmore, he's Channing Tatum. Just take his fucking shirt off. He's going to be awesome and he can dance. He's got all this crazy ass fucking skills, but he'll always just be known as completely beautiful. And we were going down the list and uh, I was like, Nick German is fucking Jeff Goldblum. I'm like, he's that deadpan. come in there, be awesome and leave. And yet somehow like super deadpan, you know, by the way, we declined, we decided that I was Olaf from, uh, from frozen, just the goofy comic relief snowman, you know,
1: wait, now I got to know where, who was
0: I? Uh, everybody we never locked in what you were. We pretty much decided that you were that guy in Hollywood with the big cigar who decides who's gonna be in the movie. So you were essentially <laughs> like the I think this will work just fine. So you, we didn't <laughs> yeah, we put we you so high up you didn't get a role, you know.
1: You you were more of a the, character type. I'm glad I'm not a Harvey Weinstein. I appreciate that. Oh Jesus God, no fuck. I didn't
0: even play in that humor.
1: Yeah, fuck him. When people like who work with this company say like oh I work for you you're my boss I'm like no we all work together we're just a partnership here right that's it we just all have different I agree with roles that. right I, I, we're just different roles I don't want anybody to think that I'm any better than anybody here I'm just the leader of the, sh- the of the ship here I'm the captain so you know it may appear like I have more say over things but I respect everybody equally uh, so much so that I have to do unpopular things at times this sounds a little fucking contradictory. And then a lot of people say, like, now I get why that had to happen. And I'm like, yes, I do it because I care. Uh, And I don't do it because it's self-serving in any way. And, you know, sometimes I just have to go, let me just get this. And you're going to understand why when just don't let me I don't have to explain it right now. Let me do it. And I think it's a trust that you build over the years. But, you know, earlier, I just didn't want to pass by this. You said. You try to do your best to keep them optimistic uh, and versus pessimism. And you know it's so interesting because in this industry, and I'm even guilty of spoofing on the pessimism, but I also try to shine a lot of light on the optimism. We know that cops are coming to this job. We know that this profession is never going to end. It'll outlive us by thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It has been for a long time and it will be far after we're gone. So knowing that, you're going to come to work anyway. Why would you choose to see it pessimistic? Why don't we start choose to see it in an optimistic standpoint? And it's a hard thing Obviously. to do. I get it because human beings are naturally pessimistic. Most of us who in, who got into the police work field came from lower middle class, maybe even poverty. So you're born into pessimistic behavior. you got to sort of acknowledge these things about where does your psyche come from? You know, how are you thinking? Where is it coming from? And who are the people you're working with? Where do they come from? So it's pessimism, toxicity. But the reality is, is like, you can make a decision today to start seeing this as an opportunity to be optimistic and see this job very differently. And dude, that's a big unlock for a lot of people to release themselves from the burden of pessimism of like, I didn't get the canine. How come I didn't get the award? How come they got the award? Everybody knows that person should have been promoted, right? Like, if... You should have goals, but also recognize that the game is not played fairly. It's not a fairly played game. It just isn't. So then you can create your own game and play it fairly to your rules. I came in today and did the best that I could. This is a fair game. What did Dennis do? What did Tommy do today? And did you play this game at its highest level? So it's important. I mean, even today, some guy wrote on the Instagram thing and uh, you know, probably here in the podcast. We cited, it just reminded me of how fucking pessimistic everybody is. And I'm trying to help shed light on why we should be optimistic. And in the face of criticism, we constantly show up. But this guy wrote, there was a slide deck. And one of them says, a routine, talk about Arizona vegan. And it said a routine traffic stop. And some guy jumps in and writes, there's no such thing as a fucking routine, a routine traffic intro. Yeah, That's Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. We call it an unknown. Yeah. And, and, and let me, and I, I saw all these comments back. People were like, people are razzing them. It's funny. You know, and I said, dude, it had nothing to do with us. This is the language that the U.S. Supreme Court put out in their opinion regarding Arizona began. This is the ruling. So we literally copied and pasted it in here. It's not the street cop language. So why are we so quick to jump on this? I got you once. I got you once.
0: I caught you. Like, yeah, we're well, human beings. You, you know what it is? You know what it is? Um, I've, I've heard you say it before. It's the man in the arena, you know, it's the, uh, it's easy for him to sit there and uh, I caught street cops saying something stupid. This is my big moment, you know, cause they don't have to be there for, for the last since 2012, 11 years, if you happen to be produced and be on top of it and developing and growing and running a company and choosing who's going to speak and booking venues and hiring admins and letting things go and taking things on. So yeah, it's easy for one guy to sit there on his keyboard one day and go. I can slide one firecracker under the door. I'm gonna get them, you know? Yeah, so, but
1: it's but just the cool so like bad. and I I I show Kenny's video, and this is gonna probably emphasize the point that I'm getting to here. The last part of Proactive Patrol, there's a video of Kenny, and I'm basically going over a very amateur way of seeing and understanding and starting to trigger the brain to understand what behavior looks like, how to start picking apart a story. It's very amateurish. Um, even though I think people who have a lot of skills will still find some cool nuggets in it. Cause I got to tell you, I still find nuggets in it. And I don't think I'm, I'm not proclaiming to be Sean Grogan, right? That's we said a video the other day. I said, call Grogan, have him dictated. Like, well, we want you to do it. I go, there's no reason for me to do it. That's his fucking forte. I know more than the average Joe. He's an expert on body language is what he teaches. So he went through. Kenny Kenny did a video with him
0: recently. It was awesome.
1: Yeah. So at the end of this video, Uh, At the end of the class, I play this video and essentially it's this traffic stop from Kenny's car stop where he found three kilos of heroin in 2014. So I preface it like this. Hey, listen, I've been teaching this class for a long time and shown this video a long time. Why do I show Kenny's video? Because I did not have a video to emphasize these points. If you've seen the videos that I've played from my dashboard cameras, I wasn't putting a lot of thought into using this stuff in a classroom when I did I was able to capture some stuff and then my career was abruptly abruptly ended but also the video quality and what I have and what I can select from doesn't emphasize the points that I need so a long time ago in 2017 when I first met Kenny I was like man you know we have this idea we'd like to get some video do you have anything that would work for us this we want to post-produce it to show what it looks like on a criminal motor vehicle stop because we can't bring 700,000 cops on a ride-along And that's where that whole thing of like Kenny's videos and how he does the pops ins and the blurbs of what he said, what's going on. And there was all the inception of him, me and Jay. And I say, you know, for years, I've been hearing people criticize what Kenny did wrong in this video. First of all, it's nine years later. So this is him at the beginning of how great he is now. He's learned a lot. Number two, often we look at things like this and start to criticize it. But I'd like all you to see this differently. You might be looking at this video saying, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I would have path frisked him. I wouldn't have him have the AirPods on. I wouldn't have him sit in the car like that. I would have done this. I would have done that. When you get three kilos of heroin on a traffic stop, like when you call up and say, I found four, then you can sit here and criticize this video. Until then, look at this video this way. Here's a guy who went outside of his comfort zone, and I warned him that he'd be criticized for this video for anything they can find. And they're going they're going to throw it in your face, and they did it in the beginning that was one of his biggest hangups. And I said, "But if you look at this video and say, "What a gift, this guy was so nice. He's obviously got some skill set where he's not perfect, but he's got something he wants to share with us, and he's he, willing to he hang
0: his ass out there you know, yeah. know for criticism, right?
1: I said that We always as as instructors here, open up our our essentially, if you can imagine like a uh, like a trench coat and we're vulnerable yeah. underneath. We're naked oh, in front yeah. of you.
0: I've used that analogy. I've used that analogy. No it's it's like well, we are very, very exposed. You know what I mean? Can I share with you one that I run into a lot,
1: mm-hmm. like a lot, lot? Oh, me, finished my the last one. You can do this one. Just, oh, but please, the thought sorry. is like, start seeing things as what a gift, right? Like not like, right. oh, did Like this is great that they did this. You know, I've had guys critique classes or the or the conference and like, hey, I didn't like the flavor of the coffee, like. Hey, was there, we also asked for good feedback too. Well, yeah, the the thing was And fantastic. Now, after we say this, I'm like, was there anything good? Like, yeah, the whole thing was great, but the coffee was like warm, just so you know, like it wasn't hot the way that I like it. And there was no milk by the time I got to it. And I'm like, okay, right. But then I try to understand from my perspective of like, why is this person acting like this? It would be just as bad for me to say, well, fuck that guy. And I go, there's valid, there's validity to this. Let me yeah. try to unpack where that came from for this person. So I am not somebody saying like, fuck you, but we'll appreciate this stuff. I'm like, why do you think that way? How do we change that? And did I do something wrong? And can I fix it too? So I, I take sure. into account what your complaints are, that, but let's all start to behave in a way that like, isn't this great, right? Like, anyway, go ahead.
0: Well, no, I'm saying one of the problems I run into a lot, so um, I'm sure you don't read many of the. Feed this up, but like I'll post a thing for a class, right? And every so often, I would post one of the feedback things I get. Now I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, in a given week, I get between five and fifteen text messages or emails of someone telling me that they got a gun from the class. Like, hey, when you talked about this, I saw it, and I get a lot of people sharing this stuff with me now. A lot of people sending me their body cams. So I do a whole thing my presentation where whenever I bring up a point, I show something that's from you know, my job, because I want to show off the cops that where I work and show what great work they're doing. But then I'll show one from somewhere in the country that someone sent me. Like Here's one from Florida. Here's from New Jersey. Here's one from uh, Chicago, whatever. And it does two things. One, it shows that these concepts are quite universal, actually, and they're all over the place. Also, it's, it takes it from being like the the us and my PD show and say, hey, we're just the ones communicating this, but this is everywhere. But what ends up happening is this I post like the text message, like that someone says, Hey, I had your class last week, saw this guy. He had all the babies you talked about. They'll list some of them. They'll say, End up looking, God, uh, I had two guns under the seat, one with an extended mag. Thanks for the class. Great job. And I post that on Facebook huh? whatever. Win or whatever. Without fail, without fail, I'll have a handful of you, Hey, like, like, you know, 150 likes, whatever. And then some buckhead, every time. I want to know what the crime was. And I get it. You're a Second Amendment guy. I'm a Second Amendment guy. I mean, I'm not against guns here, pal. But they go on these diatribes and the way they get, it gets nasty. Guys will be like, every time I see this class advertised, I throw up in my mouth a little bit and someone will hop on that be like, apparently this guy lives up there in the liberal Northeast where apparently guns are a problem. And my favorite one recently was some guy who writes, I don't think where I work, I've ever pulled over a single car that didn't have a gun in it. You know, spare me. And I just want to sit there and say to myself, like, do you guys have any idea how much you are just showing your own fucking self here? Like, tell me you don't know what gang violence is without telling me you don't know what gang violence is. Like, clearly you don't work in an area where there are factions of individuals, hundreds of them that pocket these groups that vary between and 60, where they just rove into these rival neighborhoods and shoot each other in the streets in the name of reputation. And it's a Hatfield and McCoy's on fucking steroids, exemplified and, and exponentially made across a city that leads to three square miles suffering fucking 20 to 30 homicides every single year and all of the youth. And it's devastating. And you think that when this kid texted me, it's because he pulled over some 45-year-old guy with a license to carry, or who lives in an open state, open carry state where he has no felonies, and just ripped this guy off a car. and took this gun and texted me. Like, get the fuck out of here and, and stop telling me how stupid you are online. But I can't say any of that. I have to just take it on the chin. And then someone else, like, cloth makes me sick. And the thing that kills me is I'm like, is this a, just a Tommy problem? Like, is it just a gun thing? Like when Kenny posts, hey, Here's a video of me finding a fucking, some guy carrying a load of $250,000. Like, do people post on Kenny's shit? Like, how do you know he wasn't coming from a casino? Money's not illegal. Oh, they write this that. This clap makes do. me sick. Do they? Good. Good. Let's have a boy go, and Brad find a trap with fucking, you know, a, a bag of 8,000 fucking Oxycontin pills. Or someone go like, how do you know he doesn't work for a pharmacy distributor? Yeah, like, they
1: do it. Yep.
0: Oh, thank God. I thought it and, was me. No. I never apply. I never apply, but I, I I I fucking bite my goddamn fist over
1: it. Here's what I get. I get this one. I get uh Yeah, everybody's spending money in his classes. That's why you can afford a six hundred dollar belt. Guys, nice. I've been working my face off since I'm about fucking twelve. Uh I was I was and I've said it before. That's the first one. I don't want to go back through this story again. I mean, I, I outside of street cop trading, you guys have no idea about my life. The sacrifices that I've made, while well, you were all fucking drinking beer and fucking off playing cornhole, I'm flipping houses. I'm fucking working on houses. I'm getting my real estate license. I'm putting real estate. T- I'm a. You think I'm not just a worker here? Here's the second one, guys. Won a job fourteen fucking years. Thinks he knows everything. God, fuck was a cop for four seconds. Like, are you insane? Like, you know, like think about when you say something like that. I could almost guarantee you my knowledge basis at my year ten was. Far surpassed most 99% of cops at year 25. Why? Because I treated that like I treat everything else. I wanted to be the best at it. So I constantly self educated. So sure. yeah, I was a guy seven years on the job who were like, hey, run this past Benino, see if it's case law compliant, see if the Constitution, sure. if what we sure. did today, and you got command staff standing with me. So yeah. in my mind, I want people to know that like this is, I think this is, it's some weird ways. I'm going to go holy here a little bit. I think God said like, all right, motherfucker, you got enough of what you need. Now I need you to take this and show these other guys and make this whole thing better and save lives. And, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, we are business. We have to generate revenue. But I don't think you can find a person who came to one of our programs, conference class and said, I didn't feel like I got my money's worth. My goal for you I is, yes, I think to get your money. But I have to also remind you that like, you're going to say at the end, like, Maybe not even at the moment, but I guarantee you in a year, I'll ask you, how do you, how'd you feel about the investment you made with us? And they go, they'll probably say, I feel like I stole the class from you guys. It changed my yeah. fucking career. I'm a sergeant now because of that. I get 30 hours of overtime a month just on the fact that I know how to fucking do this stuff. Hey, I got selected for the DEA task force. Hey, I just, uh, I'm the case law guy. We just fixed the academy. There's 25 <laughs> new, going. you know, so all these great things come out of what? In exchange for 299 yep a pair right. of Jordans and people don't understand that they don't under, so let me let me say something real quick and it's Trish, it's not a yeah. Tommy problem it's a them problem you know yeah. that's all it is it's it's not a Tommy problem it's not a Dennis problem
0: did I ever tell you my story um it was not my story but the the the, the Picasso story Let I tell you that
1: no tell me about that
0: um when people come to you and say hey Dennis you know like I want to yeah, do I a doing.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. You know, I, I no, sell it, tell it. Cause people are going to, don't leave me. Right. Oh, yeah, I I, Forever. That's good point. Yeah. Good point. Well,
0: basically the story goes like this. When, when someone wants to judge someone like you and say, Hey, I just want to sit back and do podcasts and collect up all this money. or Hey, Tommy, you're on here. Yeah, you, you go to travel to DC for a day or Chicago or Baltimore or wherever. Talk for one day and get paid cash. Like that's, I want to be able to talk for eight hours, and get paid cash. They don't know what went into it. They don't know all the years of work that you weren't paid for, all the year, all the hours you spent on the computer. So the story goes like this. Picasso, Pablo Picasso, the famous painter, is an old man. He's in his 70s. He's in a coffee shop and he's drinking a coffee. And a woman comes up to him and she she sees him and she decides not to say anything. She sits down. He takes out a piece of paper and a pencil and he does a sketch right there at the coffee table. He draws on it for a couple minutes. He looks at it puts it into his little his little bag, and he gets up with his coffee, he's ready to leave. And the woman gets up, she says, excuse me, sir, are you Pablo Picasso? And he says, uh, yes. She was the famous painter. He goes, yes. She goes, I-, I saw you draw something. Do you mind if I see it? He says, sure. He shows it to her. And of course, it's amazing. It's fucking a pencil sketch by Pablo Picasso, you know? It's fascinating. So she's blown away, and she says, do you mind, could I have this? And he says, well, you could buy it. And she says, Buy it. Um, well, well, I mean, how much would you want for it? He goes, mm, $40,000. She goes, $40,000. She goes, That took you two minutes to draw that. And he says, No, man, that took me 63 years to draw that. And like, I love the story because it, it makes the point of you see the final product. You know what I mean? Like, you weren't there for, you know, you know like for my sake, you have know, 22 years of, you know, speaking of police academy recruits and building material over 20 somewhat years and, you know, what started off, you know, $20 an hour, you know what I mean? For six hour minimums, not during lunch. I mean, uh, six hour maximums rather. And even I was there for eight days and traveling an hour and a half to academies on the other side of Massachusetts, three hours of travel not paid for. You weren't there, all the, the classes I ran that cost me more money to run than I made. I mean, a couple of the gang school things that I ran, those five-day classes, the reason we stopped it was I had 13 of some of the greatest police minds in Massachusetts and New England all come in and giving their time. And I'm paying them all appropriately for their time. And then X amount of people sign up for it. That class happened anyway, man. But 23 people is not enough to pay for that five days, you know? And like, you weren't there for that. You weren't there when I started this company and I put $8,000 into branding and I had one thing come up. And I had to completely rewrite the entire thing and lose eight thousand dollars in merch and swag and stuff that could never be, never be used. I and mean, you weren't there for that. So yeah, now all these years later, I get to travel, bring my laptop, show up, talk, go home. It's awesome, and now it's awesome. And if it'd been twenty years of this, yeah, I'd own a house in the hills. But it hasn't been. It's been a really good year and a half. You know, year and a half now. It's been a really good five years. Like really, the last year and a half with you has just expanded my horizons. So I was doing this around New England. Like I said, the horror of Babylon, baby. Everyone's had me. But, you know, now I can do this stuff in California. I can be down in Florida, you know. I'm booking trips on my family. My sister lives in Dallas. So I booked a fucking, I booked a gun game in Dallas. I got my sister, you know. I, my parents live in Florida, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm trying to get, I'm looking forward to Orlando. You know what I mean? My parents live outside of Orlando. So with things like that, people don't see what got, you know to use you, I saying before, the man in the arena. People don't see what got the guy in the, uh, the arena. Guys don't see what's happened. They just see the product and think. Doesn't he know that he should have passed, that guy first? <laughs> Doesn't he know we don't use the word routine? <laughs> Did he really just say he recovered a gun from a guy? The only guns I see are lawfully carried. This cop must have a class that's just completely made up. This obviously isn't based on a reality that I don't know. There's no way I could admit that there's an entire world of policing I don't understand. Dennis, on my life, I could never fathom going online to a police training company, seeing a class about something I've never fucking seen. I've never seen someone steal an airplane. I've never been in charge of investigating someone stealing a fucking airplane. I could never see a class on how to identify stolen airplanes and decide to throw a comment on there and say something like, oh, God even notice the detail in the back. I couldn't fathom. Being that useless and just I just can't fathom it. So every time someone posts on my little Facebook, I just take it on the chin. But if someone's listening to this podcast, please destroy them for me. Just fucking kill them for me. Um, because I'll never say anything.
1: You know, I I I do want to kind of finish by saying this that yes, these are some of the things that we endure, and we're trying to explain to people that it's not all peaches and cream. But there is a lot of peaches and cream with it in the sense of I had a girl the other day send me a message. And I'm sure she's going to hear this when we did the podcast with a Delta One, uh, a Delta Force Tier One operator. And people probably thought we we're going to talk about how he like was America's assassins and they just were sent to fucking kill people, which they are. Um, and, and, and it's funny because I brought that up to uh, my other friend who is who's a Delta guy. And he's like, we never killed anybody who didn't deserve it. I'll give you that. I'm like, well, I, yeah, I imagine he's like, some people, de- some people deserve to live. Some people don't. And whoever we were sent to go fucking wipe out, they deserved it. Trust me. So I had no qualms with what I had to do. I wanted to go wipe out a fucking crew of guys. So these are horrific people. But that podcast episode, which I was not paid for, which I'm not paid for, for any of this stuff. We don't have sponsorship. Sure. You don't hear ads being paid. Um, I don't have collaboration. Something you should on.
0: start doing, by the way. But...
1: <laughs> but yeah. But by the way, like, guess what? In four years, when like some big paycheck rolls in. And people are like, "Ah, you see? Look at this! This oh, guy get overnight success.
0: Overnight success. Yeah, it was no so episode, hard work what, like that.
1: episode eight twenty four now, right? So, like, anyway, oh, the girl. So, yeah. th- so, so this girl messaged me on my private, my personal Instagram the other day and says, "I just listened to the podcast episode with you and that that Delta One guy. I keep saying Delta One, the Delta Force guy. My apologies, uh, the Delta Force guy. And it had to do with just talking about." how he was not being a good father. And now he wrote about a book about being a good father, and a good family man, a good husband. And it was a really, really beautiful podcast episode. And she said, when I listened to it, I was at the gym crying. And I'm glad I was by myself because I just started, you know, really the tears started flowing. I couldn't stop them because I have not been a great mother. And I made that choice at that moment from listening to that, that, I am going to be a different kind of mother because I was putting my job before my children and I'm not doing that anymore. And so dude, for us, that's the reward. Well, we hear yeah. the noise on the, we, we acknowledge the noise on the one side that pales in comparison to the praise that we get, but it's not praise where we're like, Oh, this makes me feel great. It's just acknowledging why our work is so important, why it's so important to ignore the noise that we hear from the, from the booze and the cheapest seats because the people who are buying front row tickets at the street cop conference are the ones we're there for. We, yeah. th- we, ju- that's, we all have to be reminded of who we're working and who we're, we're acting and doing things for and and forget about those who we're not.
0: Well, you know, you think of those boards where they have like the little pieces there, like the black side and the white side, and then it's a game where I flip one, you flip one, and at the end, who gets the most you know, board pieces, you know? And if you think about it, you're not just, two pieces speaking to a board who's listening. It's not, you're, you're flipping people. You're getting people into the right mentality. You know, you do a presentation for 50 people say your case law class, you have 50 people never give a shit about case law. That, that was the unnecessary nerd shit. They just want to get a class on like, how, like I want to, just want to know how to rip a fucking gas tank out of a car and know if there's a trap in it. And now they take your presentation. Now they become case law mind worthy. Now they go to their job. And now they go on to become a supervisor, and they have a squad of people who want to rip shit apart. And they go, actually, you know what? Here's how it works, and I'm going to send you interviews these presentations. So it's almost like they're apostles creating converts, creating more apostles, and it's a good thing. So it's not just you're standing there and people listen and go, I got it, I don't got it. It's not. You are the benefits you are doing are that that woman, for example, your story there. You, that's not just hey, if we reach one, we're good. No, you reach one. And if that one becomes an apostle, she's gonna talk to a couple of her girlfriends at work and say, you know, I'm gonna make these changes in my life. And one of those girls might hear the story and go, you know something? I've been saying this forever. I gotta do the same thing. And then some other guy's gonna hear that and say, you know what, fuck me. You know something? I don't know why I sweat these goddamn details on Saturdays. I don't know why, but I didn't make that much money on the big picture. I haven't been to a fucking baseball game for my kid yet. You know what, you're right. And that is how it kind of works. So yeah, it's, it's, you're trying to teach people how to fish. You're not handing out fish at street cop. You're trying to teach people how to fish. So, in the you know, to tribute to the haters, if what street cop is doing makes you sick, well then yeah, we're probably a, probably a bad virus in the system here. But if if what street cop is doing is beneficial, and it's actually arguably necessary. I mean, I don't want to try to spin this onto my whole thing here, but you know, it's no secret I have three presentations I do: I have the gang game, the gun game, and the honor game. The gun game is the sexy blonde and the Lamborghini. There's no arguing about that. Everybody signs up for that, whatever, loves it. It's fucking great. It's entertaining. You learn how people go to jail. It's fucking great. The gang game is very niche. It's, you know, if you deal with gangs, there's a, you know, it's a very mentality thing that cops who do gangs up love to fucking learn about. So honor game is more, the most universal. Now, I've said before, people say, what is honor honor game? And I'm like, ask every cop in America when were you at work and you were afraid? What is it at your job where you go, oh, my God, I'm a cop, but I admit, I'm afraid? It's not domestics. It's not car stops late at night. It's not, it's not vehicle interactions with more than three occupants. Cops will tell you across the board, universally, on the Family Feud board, I'm afraid of two things. My administration and potential for false community complaints. And we'll put a billion dollars a year to sending Cops training on interdiction and gun recoveries, drug investigations and sexual assaults and human trafficking and interview interrogation, all of it. We won't spend $1 talking to cops on how to navigate living in 2023 while you're afraid of your administration and potential community complaints. So the idea of the honor game is it's just that. And as people know, I couldn't fill a goddamn seat. I was in New Jersey. I had gun game on Monday, honor game on Tuesday. We had 124 people at the gun game. I had five on Tuesday for the honor game. And I was saying, you're canceling? I said, fuck no. One of the principles of the honor game is that I would never cancel a college in class. If one person's showing up, I would have chalked in their face. Fuck, we would have done lunch. I would have been driving in my car, getting to lunch, and just fucking spit and get spitting ideas. But the point is, they say, like, what's crazy is the honor game is about you. Like, if, if there's one class that I would suggest someone take, I'm like, I would take the honor game. But the more of a story on that is, though, is that all the haters, like, you know, from whether it's a media standpoint or people just don't know what street Streetcar represents, people who think that hop on here and talking about your arms is actually contribution. The one thing I'll say is this. I suggest them sign up for the honor game. I'll give you a fucking media rep for free if they really want it. Because they'd leave there and be like, holy fuck. Like, that was a goddamn Pixar movie. I laughed and I fucking cried at one point, you know? And that's, that's what I think people don't see about us. And you've said it before. It's intelligence. is a regular thread. I say, yeah, When well, you know how you sell that intelligence? Through comedy. You know how you sell that comedy? Through swearing and a couple of dick jokes, well-placed and well-formed. And you put that in with information and messages necessary. And we're out here trying to convert apostles to be good people, to be, to be proactive, but to care about your community, to not have fear your administration anymore by finding ways to play within the lines. And yeah, I'd say that street cops is actually a necessity.
1: I think uh, that's a good note to end this thing on. Honor game, gun game, uh, well, not gun game, honor game and gang game on demand, right? Yeah. So what happened was I just wasn't
0: going to travel for five people forever, but I want to get it out there. So we filmed the gang game. It's on demand. People want it. I'm hoping that people start getting into it. Um, I mean, it's selling. I get the little notifications that people buy. It's great. Uh, But not what I would have thought it was. But ironically, the gang game is five times outsold the honor game. In fact, as I'm speaking to you right now, I think the honor game has only sold six. That's it. And honestly, the existence of the honor game is the fact that I, I've had about 4,000 people attend the gun game over the years. And I've had six people sign up for the honor game is the reason the honor game exists. It's ironic. It's the thing that we just don't understand is uh, it's... Uh, it's probably the most universal i just did it in williamsport that's why my voice was blown up i sound like i've been eating tree bark for three days but i did back-to-back class in williamsport and like i was even talking to the chief the great guy this guy uh, snyder and um but he was saying he was like god damn it he was like never thought that would be what it was you know it was like it was entertaining it was funny but eye-opening and all. And I, said, I mean it is it's, it's just been, nobody will ever see it because i sit it right next to the gun game which again is the you know the sexy brunette with the fucking you know, with the with the highway curves, you know, and just, uh, you know, the Garner game looks like the hippie dippy thing your administration would send you to. So I just want to say the Garner game is a very very interesting presentation, but there's plenty of dick jokes too. So you know, come along.
1: Well, I appreciate you taking the time. <laughs> if you want to find more Tommy stuff, StreetCop You can search and buy instructor. Oh, yeah. This is where you can find all our programs. And man, you guys, we are anything that with this logo on it you can trust is going to be valuable. And we keep that standard pretty high. So, you know, Street Cop University essentially is the university you probably want to be at as if you're a law enforcement professional. But anyway, Tom, I appreciate it, man. I got to run. Thanks, fella. I'll talk to you soon. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher, so you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum, going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.